If you're hearing this, we thank you for pressing play on another edition of It's a Streamable Life, Chronicle Life in the Peak Entertainment Era. And we've got a cold open dealing with a film that's racked up quite a few nominations at one of the awards ceremonies. Tell us about it. All right. So I think, I want to say it's leading, but I do know that All Quiet on the Western Front, the Netflix film about World War One, it has 14 nominations. Um, at the BAFTA Awards. And uh, so my question, and I feel like I've hit on this somewhat before is, do you think society will ever hit its quota of war films? And uh, kind of the second question is, is the genre something that should be deemed untouchable because of its cultural importance? That's a good question. I think given the historical relevance and sort of the prestige uh, era or, or yeah. war films have like it's sort of like a go-to in the movie genre or in in film um, right. it always beckons for you know great cinematography usually action um performances top performances i think for a long time war movies sort of um previously depicted it as sort of like no tales of patriotism and heroism and we've been able to sort of gradually show the other side of war specifically uh with apocalypse now just how twisted and detrimental war is not only to those in the countries that are being placed in the middle but to to those soldiers or whoever um they're on the battlefield, the mental anguish and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's a, that's enough to sort of make them untouchable, um, since it's such a gravitas uh, genre in film. And one thing that I always think of is that, and you'll see it now, is that it seems that the films based on World War II and World War One have more, much more romantic angles to them, not romantic in the sense of love and that, but it's almost like a glorification of that time period where the country yeah. was. Like you said, they're the very patriotic type things. And then you move forward. The Vietnamese shows about the Vietnam War are absolutely brutal, like you said. But then, you know, 2001, the Afghan War that we took part in, I find it interesting, you really don't get those films. They're very, like, scarce. They come up mm-hmm. maybe one every few years, but, you know, we're still going back to World War One, and I, so that's what kind of hit me, made me think that question is, you know, are we ever going to get to a point where just, I don't know, war films just aren't? Right. Something. And, and I, my answer to it is I don't think so. No, I think so as long as we go for And the, the further away we get from wars like World War One, World War Two, like we're losing an entire generation of people that fought and were alive. I think these films will be much more important and we may see even more. Yeah, I can definitely see an increase in them as a way to sort of pre- preserve history. Um, definitely the whole, this, excuse me, nostalgia of that time. Right. And the whole great generation thing. And even that movement, to quote unquote make America great again, all that is part of sort of encapsulizing a time where 
America was seen as the hero and there wasn't much dissension from that sort of perspective. So that's another way, another reason I think the war film will never kind of die because it's sort of, it's in a grander scheme of things, it's propaganda. Very much propaganda. And, And I'm sure filmmakers have great intentions, but these war films aren't created just on the whim, they have involvement from certain experts and veterans or government officials to make it more at least as accurate as possible, but that's also a danger because it's sway the narrative a certain way. And, you know, it's not spoil all part of the Western Front. Well, I don't think you can spoil a war film. You know what happens, but (laughs) um, it's much more along the lines of Apocalypse Now. The story is much more honest. There's, it's quick moving. You do not get rest. But um, yeah, it, it's it's very good. So I can understand the nominations. And that brings us to our uh, what's news, um, which includes the uh, Bath nominations announcement. So, um, as you said, they were announced last week, um, and the BAFTA Film Awards will take place on February 19th. Uh, these are like the British Oscars slash because yeah. it's all one industry overseas, and then they yeah. have the film ceremony and the TV ceremony separate, I believe, right? It's something like that, yeah. Um, so just... Some of the categories they have, of course, is Best Film. They also do Outstanding British Film, uh, Debut British Writer, Director, Producer, uh, Film Not in English Language, Documentary, Animated Film, Director, Screenplay Adapted, Leading Actor and Actress, Supporting Actress and Actors. Sort of the common things. Nothing too out of the ordinary. Um, They do add uh, British Short Animation, British Short Film, and uh rising star award so right. I, I, of those categories i think one that the oscar should adopt is the the debut that would be interesting to, to it would it would highlight to, some of the younger talent I right in in some of the films that wouldn't get looked at otherwise so definitely definitely so not going through all the nominations but as you said all, all the all Quiet on the Western Front is nominated for quite a few. You said 14. Uh, mm-hmm. Best Film. Um, I think it's nominated for film, not in the English language, because it is in German, correct? Right, yeah, it's German. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's got any acting knobs, because I saw a tweet saying, uh, despite his 14 nominations, none of them were in the acting category. So that, again, kind of a anomaly. That happens quite a bit, you know, you right. Will praise this film for everything but the acting, and the acting is at least Which, a fourth of what the film is. Right when you when you watch it, you'll be questioning how the lead actor and one on one other actor didn't get any nominations. And I don't know. I, I yeah, it's got to be because of. I don't want to say it's because they're German, but. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it very could be. Yeah, it's yeah. a different perspective of the war, and that's, the, that's right again to kind of go back to what we said. You know, we can't pick and choose which wars to sort of highlight which perspective. Right. Exactly. You know, um, it's, it's favoritism and it's propaganda, so have to be careful with that. Um, other names, of course, popping up are some of the usuals that have been um, getting nominations all year long. 
In the supporting acting categories, we have Angela Bassett, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, Carrie Mulligan is here for She Said. Yeah. Interesting. Um, two actors from the Banshees of Anna Sheeran for actor, of course, Kihu Kwan for Everything Ever All at Once. Oh, Albert uh, Schultz is here for All Quiet on the Western Front for supporting. Okay, okay. So that so that is one uh, acting nomination for them. And then lead actor, we have, of course, the favorite Kate Blanchett, along with Viola Davis and De Daniel Deadweiler, Anna DeArmas for Blonde, uh, Emma Thompson, Michelle Yao, and then actor Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, Brennan Fraser, who's sort of gotten an uptick as he won at the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, Daryl McCormick from Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, which is actually interesting. I'm happy that yeah. they're recognizing that film. It was really good. Uh, Paul Mescal for Re Return, and then Bill Nye for Living. I, and I've heard incredible things about that, about Bill Nye and Living. I read something the other day where they think, uh, actually, I think I saved it, what the review was on. It was on Time Out. Which, but anyways, either he was. They said it's like his best performance of his career. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then director, oh, we have some surprises here. They've got Gina Price Bythewood for the Woman King. Um, she, I don't think she's been nominated anywhere else in the major award sh award shows. So good for her. We also have decision to leave director Park Chung Wook. And best director as well, along with Edward Berger, Martin McDonald, Martin McDonald, I can't say his last name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Daniels and Todd Field. Um, and then best picture, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Banshees and the Sheeran, Elvis, which is surprising, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Tar. So they kept it to a nice five as opposed to Oscars 10. Um, so yeah, the Baffles again will be on February 19th, um, which will be here sooner than we think, actually. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in addition to the BAFTA film nominations, um, we are expecting the Oscar noms to be announced on January 24th, which would be Tuesday, would have been yesterday when you hear this. Um, and they will be announced, I believe, 8 a.m., Eastern time yeah, by so. Allison Williams and I forget who the other person was. Yeah, I, I didn't even know she was doing it. Riz Ahmed. Okay. They will be announcing the 95th Oscar nominations. You can watch live, I think, on their website or YouTube channel. Yeah, live stream on Oscar.com, Oscar.org, and their YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And for those in virtual reality, metaverses, horizon worlds, everywhere but TV. So, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. Um, in other news, uh, it was announced that Alec Baldwin will be charged over the rush shooting death of the cinematographer. I think her name was Helene Hutchins. Yeah. Um, as we all know, this was. October 2021. I literally okay. had to look it up because I was like... That was two years ago. I was about to say yeah. two years ago, but then I thought what's two years ago? I wasn't sure. I was... Right, exactly. <laughs> I remember. Um, but he, as well as the armor, have been charged with involuntary manslaughter in the death of the cinematographer on the set of Rust. 
Um, uh, a lot of people are sort of perplexed that he'd be charged at all, but I, I kinda, he, he shot her. I don't. Yeah, he, he absolutely. And they're saying that he pulled the trigger, and that's the whole thing. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to prove that he pulled the trigger. Yeah. I don't know how they would do that, but I have this whole theory in my mind that if he wouldn't have sound so nonchalant about the fact that he somebody died because of something yeah. mishap, I don't think they would have brought he at no point did he really seem mournful. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his his behavior and everyone agrees differently, but his behavior after the situation it just was going like, on with the production. It was like right. so, what? And it's a low budget film. Like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It seemed he made it seem very. Oh, this happens sometimes. Like, uh, no, it doesn't. Yeah, and I believe they're including the armor just because she was the one in charge of the props. Yeah. Yeah, the props. So we'll see what happens. Um, unfortunate all the way around, but I don't see mm -hmm. how you don't have charges in in this situation. All right. And lastly, Netflix announced their film slate for the upcoming year. Um, last year, they had a bunch of movies, or the year before, or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, this year's kind of slimmed down a bit uh, to a mere 86, <laughs> I believe. Um, but some of, oh, maybe even less, 49. Wow. It was 86 the year before. Yeah. Like that. Um, some of those big titles are, of course, You People from Kenya Barris, his directorial debut, which arrives on the 27th. Um, they have a documentary about Bill Russell coming right. in February. Uh, the film, based on the BBC series Luther, uh, The Fallen Sun, is coming in March. A sequel to Extraction with uh, mm -hmm. Liam Hemsworth, not Liam, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Um, I enjoyed the first one, but I definitely thought he perished in the end, so I don't know how this yeah. has come about. Uh, the highly anticipated They Clone Tyrone, starring Jamie yeah. Foxx, coming in July. Um, that movie with Jennifer Lopez is in June, I think. Um, uh, Michael Fassbender is starring as the assassin in The Killer, which is set for November 10th. Uh, Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, um, Mahersha Ali and Mahela from Industry are mm -hmm. in the um, psychological thriller from Sam, Sam Esmail, Leave the World Behind. That's set for December. And then, of course, everyone's favorite comic book director, uh, Zack Snyder, is returning with Rebel Moon in December. So those are some of the most anticipated titles. Right, right. Um, and of course, there's others that were supposed to drop this year and have been pushed back for some reason. Um, were there any that you found that you wanted to get into that weren't mentioned prior? Um, not really. You named all the ones I really wanted to see. Um, but um, actually, no. Towards the end of the list, there is one uh, called Shirley. And this is about Shirley Chisholm, the yes. congresswoman. Yeah, so um, I think that would be interesting to see. It didn't have a date, though, but it's yeah, part of the... Uh, you say? Oh, I was going to say that was starring uh, Regina King as the the first Black woman to run for President of the United States. Right, right. And so, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty good. It's being uh, written and directed by John Ridley, who has mm -hmm. worked with King on American Crime. Um, 
his stuff is always good. Like he he, right. he does excellent work with nonfiction um, and sort of like social, not social justice, but social, uh, uh, I don't know, commentary, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah. So and, yeah, no, I, th- I think that would be a good one. Yeah, and we also have Rustin, uh, the the long delayed uh, biopic oh, yeah. about Banyard, Rustin, uh, starring Coleman Domingo. And this is to be directed by George C. Wolf. So that was supposed to drop, I think, this past winter. And it's been pushed back. I was expecting that to be part of this year's Oscar run. But uh, both of those could potentially see nominations next year. Um, Other ones, um, there's just just a lot. And most of them will be missed. Some of them will hit. But... um, you have to wait and see. Netflix right now is just sort of like a for for a long while they've just been sort of throwing things at the chalkboard hoping that a masterpiece is etched and it doesn't always happen. So but yeah, you can uh just stay tuned probably through their YouTube page and what else to see what else is coming for the films. I think that's all for the news, and we'll take a break to transition to our feature presentation. All right, so this week we'll be discussing HBO's premiere of their one of the most highly anticipated shows of 2023. Uh, It's the original series, The Last of Us, which is based on the best-selling, critically acclaimed PlayStation video game of the same name, The Last of Us. Um, It has actually premiered, I think it's 2013, this game came out. Uh, Which is wild because that's such a long time ago. (laughs) You think about it. Um, And it has since spawned uh, two-part sequel, Last of Us 2, Part 1 and Part 2, and then it has spawned a remake, The Last of Us, um, which I believe dropped uh, last year, or remake for the PlayStation 5. Um, so this is just one of the many shows that PlayStation is launching from their uh, storied IP. They also have a Twisted Metal series, if you remember that video game from the 90s. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> um, as well as Fallout is getting adapted at Amazon Prime. Um, where are some other ones? I think there there was always talk about GTA, but I doubted if that gets off off the uh the ground. But I know Fallout's coming, Twisted Metal's coming, and they're supposed to be doing a Ghost of Tsushima film. So mm-hmm. Yeah, they, everyone knows like franchises and already storied IP is where television and film is trying to go so they don't have to do the legwork of trying to create a fan base from scratch. But let's get into this episode. So if you're not um, familiar with the show or the story, um, ha- were you familiar with the game prior to? Uh, I knew of the game, but I had never played it before. But I, I kind of knew the background like what was going on okay yeah i'd never played the first one even though i bought it for ps4 pro um i did watch someone play the second one on youtube because i can't do 
survival horror. I just, oh Jesus, yeah. It's not my favorite, but um, I I was familiar with it. So for those that weren't aren't familiar with the series, uh, the video game follows two characters, uh, Joel and Ellie, as they live in the post apocalyptic United States twenty years after a fungi infection has spread rapidly killing most humans and those that still exist are uh infected and become sort of these um living breathing mushroom creatures um and for those that aren't infected they're forced to live in quarantine zones um and joel is tasked to escort this young girl ellie to the west coast and attempt to possibly develop uh a cure for the future so it's giving the walking dead meets 20 days later meets contagion all those type of exactly zombie s apocalyptic um storylines and that's why while this while it's good this first episode is good and also did not know that it was an hour and a half long it, yeah you know the show i can is highly anticipated but it almost seems out of place like we've moved past the zombie story you know what i mean like right it's been outdone yeah right but you can tell that this game was in 2013 when zombies were like at their height but yeah it's kind of like oh because mm-hmm. 2013 would have been let's see the walking dead premiered i think that was in high school and that premiered so like two 2008 nine yeah. around there Oh, 2010. Yeah, yeah. Walking Dead premiere in 2010. So you're three years to The Walking Dead. That might have been like its peak, actually. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely bit off of, <laughs> pun intended, bit off of that success then. Um, the show now um, sort of focuses more on the environmental angle, which wasn't really part of The Walking Dead. It's like another slice. Right of sort of like the zombie genre. Um, Before we dive too much into it, we'll give you some of the uh, actors and creators. Um, It's being created by uh, Craig Mazine, who did um, Chernobyl. So we're we're already sort of know the script will be elevated. Um, The stars Pedro Pascal as Joel, Bella Ramsey as Ellie, Gabriel Luna as Tommy, uh, Merle Dandridge, Dandridge as Marlene, and Anna Torv as Tess. Hmm. Um, but uh, let's just kind of recap the show. There will be spoilers, so if you haven't watched for the episode, pause, watch the episode, and come back. <laughs> um, we opened in 1968, and I thought this was a very interesting way to begin the show. This sort of set up the very sort of fact-based background yeah that's a story sora is rooted in um we have a uh some type of talk show on abc from 68 with some scientists and i believe the actor's name is john Hanna. yeah i think so uh he was in the mummy agents of shield very recognizable actor um he's talking about how um Basically about the environment and back then, you know, the concept of global warming was mostly probably just theories within these small circles. Right. Um, you just mentioned how 
you know, uh, fungus cannot live um, in humans the way it affects other living beings because our um, our inner temperature is too hot. Right. We sort of have like a constant 94 degrees or whatever. And it can't. You know, our, our inner temperature is not hot enough, I thought it was. Correct. Because yeah. um, it can get into insects because, yeah, we're more cold blooded. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. But other insects like ants and praying mantises, um, a fungi can get in them and sort of like control their mind to where they right. don't die. They just become sort of these hosts. Right. Um, but he said if, you know, the earth continues to increase its temperature, right. um, we be could become victims of fungi sort of um, infiltrating our bodies and we would lose because the environment's everywhere. Um, yeah, very, very, uh, <laughs> um, a shuddering thought given our, you know, current state of climate. You know, there's there's uh, examples every day of how the earth's temperature is increasing and the weather is just sort of doing whatever oh. the club wants to do. What was interesting about that part is that once um, once he says that they scan to the crowd and even the host is kind of just taken back and kind of stunned, like, like well, wait a second now. Exactly. It, it was silent until the host was like, um, and we'll be back. Yeah. So we fast forward from 1968 to 2003, um, where we're introduced to uh, Nico Parker's character, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, She's been in quite a few titles recently, especially on HBO. So good for her. Um, we're introduced to Joel's family, which is him, his daughter Sarah, who's about 13 years old, perhaps. I think so, yeah. Um, and her uncle, Tommy. Um, he's a single parent. We don't know anything about a mother or wife or anything. And you can kind of tell that Sarah is sort of like the balance for her dad. He he works late shifts. Um, he's sort of supporting Tommy and Sarah support, sort of supporting Joel. Um, so they go about their day. It just happens to be Joel's birthday. So Sarah has planned to, as a gift to fix his watch, um, yeah. does this after school. And without telling us what's happening, they just show us sort of like the growing peril that's happening around, around them. Yeah. And there's, uh, they're located in Austin, Texas. So you just hear snippets of, you know, a distress news briefing about how something happened in Jakarta. And then what's well, just at the, the uh, excuse me, the clocks, the watch store, um, you know, the owner's wife sort of rushes her out and tells her to go home. We see cop cars racing down the street. She uh, gets home. Uh, Any time you see <laughs> jets flying across your right. neighborhood, something's going on. <laughs> I immediately came back to 9-11 when Wright Pat was sending airplanes out of Dayton just willy-nilly. It, it, <laughs> it's something's happening. So um, when she comes home, she actually goes to her neighbor's because she was there to sort of spend some time with their elderly mother or something like that that she hadn't done in a while. And this is a scene where shit goes left. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, kudos to the actress. Don't know your name, but she did that scene. Um, you everything sort of like in the background, and it it just eerily ups the tension. So this older lady who seems to be um immobile, maybe non-communicative. She doesn't really Yeah, you can't really tell. She maybe perhaps suffered a stroke or something like that. Um all of a sudden she sort of starts to sort of uh I don't know what you would call it. Not convulse, but like become alert as if something's occurring. Um and then her mouth gapes open. She sort of shakes and no one notices. Um yeah, that 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 was just a majestic choice by the directors to sort of right. tell us, but don't tell us. Show us, but don't show us exactly what's occurring. Um, again, to the evening, um, Sarah presents her gift to her father. They decide to watch a movie. Um, he gets a call, and he has to go pick Tommy out out of jail because of a guy in a fight at a bar. And I guess in the video game, um. You you actually go to get Tommy. Like that's how the first level starts as Joel. Right. He's going to jail, which I never knew. Um, so Joel goes does that. That's around 10 o'clock. Um, we come back to the house. Sarah's asleep. It's in like 2 a.m. in the morning, and she wakes up to just commotion. Yeah. And that's it really does. And from there it kind of takes off, like um, because then she goes next door mm-hmm. when she realizes that her dad isn't there. She goes, like, well, she goes, she hears the dog. Yeah. And she's like, well, that's weird. And then, yeah, that's what takes her outside. And then she goes next door and she walks into the neighbor's house with the older lady we were just talking about. And um, then, yeah, um, she sees her husband on the ground and then she kind of looks around and then, yeah, that she, the, the actress that was playing that lady, she really did. <laughs> <laughs> she went nuts with it. Yes, uh, Sarah walks in the neighbor's house and sees the couple have been, well, the, the husband is sort of like begging for help right. as he's bleeding out from a wound to his neck. And then we see the older woman ha- is sort of devouring the the uh, the husband's wife. Um, and the thing that's so, that was even far scarier than the attack is when she sort of lifts her head and what you think is hair in her mouth is actually like, like the fungus the fungus appendages like yeah. she uses as a tongue or teeth or whatever and that freaked me out <laughs> so sarah runs out the house of course the now like fungal runner i think that's what they call them runners yeah. uh, is chasing her Tommy and Joel pull up in the truck, tell her to get in the, the get in the truck as they already know what's ha- happening. They're forced to kill forced to kill the old woman and they race out of the suburb. They're headed toward the interstate. It's packed because everyone's had the same idea to sort of go in the direction away from the danger, but the danger's everywhere. Right. Um, there's a farmhouse that's on fire as they're driving away. They pass up another family because you don't you can't trust anybody. You don't know what's happening, who's sick, who right. isn't. Um they pull into town trying to get out of town. It was very much reminiscent of um 
the scene in A Quiet Place. Yeah, I can see that. Specifically Quiet Place 2, just that manic driving um, and then a plane actually crashes as you know, there's no air traffic control. I'm sure the sickness has spread everywhere and the the plane crashes caused Joel, Tommy, and Sarah to crash. Um, they wake up. Sarah has injured her ankle, so Joel has to carry her. Um, but those two get separated from Tommy. He says he'll meet with them later. And traversing to the river, they across other runners. They're chased, and uh, this specific runner, Pacific specific runner, is shot by a military person armor whatever um he he sort of relays to whoever is in his ear his commander that he's got two civilians and you can tell from the way he's answering the questions that he's being instructed to terminate them because you don't know who's sick you don't know who's a threat exactly and the u.s government does not give a fuck like <laughs> <laughs> history is just repeating itself so uh, Joel goes to sort of dodge the bullet or at least protect Sarah as the officer starts firing at them for no reason. Uh, he's about to apologize before killing Joel and Tommy arrives with the sniper to kill him. But sadly, um, Sarah has been shot. What was your reaction to, to this development? Uh, I was kind of, I, I could Kind of tell she was going to die. All right, I I didn't know if she was going to turn or if she was going to die, and or, or get shot. And then I knew some way she was going out. But um, yeah, it was still kind of shocking. But I think from there, then we just have the time jump. What is it like twenty years or something? Right. So we were in yeah. three. We jumped twenty years to the present year, twenty twenty three, and we're in Boston. We open up to the quarantine zone as a young child is found, passes out in front. Um, and you can just tell that it's been a treacherous 20 years. Um, the environment has sort of overtaken a society. Buildings are decaying. They're part of the habitat. Um, no one is allowed out of the quarantines. <clears throat> Excuse me. No one's allowed out of the quarantine zone. Um, and those that are caught trying to escape, they are executed as they were having public hanging as uh, members of this society were being punished for disobeying uh, FEDRA, who is sort of like the military, materialized government in charge. Um, so one side you have FEDRA, the other side you have the Fireflies, who are sort of this rebel uh, guerrilla underground um, faction. And in the middle, you have Joel, um, who is somewhat of an imposing figure in this community. Um, he's known sort of like a, a smuggler of goods. And, you know, 20 years later, he had turned 36 in 2003. So he's about... 56 now yeah um and he's you know i'm sure his 
he's hardened. He's been hardened by his circumstances, by life, which is not much now. Um, they show that, you know, they sort of burn their dead in fear of infection. Um, they sort of ration scraps here and there. Um, it, it's it's a war zone. <laughs> Um, and so we sort of get introduced to the, what how the world works today. Um, Joe is still looking for Tommy as he is in Wyoming somehow, yeah. which is millions of miles away when you think about it in that sort of um, environment. Um, and we eventually meet Bel Ramsey's uh, Ellie. Yeah. Uh, and she's been locked up in a room because there's something about her that's that's special, basically. Um, right, yeah, we're not given the information, but they've got they received some sort of message that like, yeah, she's she needs to be kept safe. Right, she's unique, and the leader of the Fireflies, Marlene, has decided that because of her uniqueness, they're going to get her out west. So they're planning to buy a battery from a scammer named Roger um, put in a truck and to sort of like leave the QZ zone for uh, Wes. But these plans get faulted when I we don't see it, but there's a shootout basically um, in this building where Elle is being held. Uh, Tess and Joel discover as they're coming to they were going to get the um the battery from Roger originally. Um, you just see bodies <laughs> everywhere. Um, and uh Marlene and uh her colleague have both been shot, but they'll survive. Um, you basically have the standoff between them, Tess and Joel. In the middle is Ellie. And since Marlene and her team can't do the job anymore, she posits that. Uh, Joel smuggle Ellie out of the QZ zone to West, and you know they kind of object at first that you know they don't do humans. This is not part of their uh, protocol, but they can't deny it because they've got to get out. So, um, any any scenes be between that and this part uh, stand out to you specifically, or moments? Um. I'm trying to think. As it got towards the end of the episode, I think it became somewhat, I wouldn't say more tame, but this story was easier to follow, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Nothing really stood out. Stood out. The scene where he beat the cop in the alley was nuts. Yeah. Kind of had that flashback. <laughs> yeah. So as they're, they're uh, exiting the QZ zone, they get stopped by. Um, one of the Fedra agent soldiers, and we see him actually has seen him earlier in the episode, him interacting with Joel as Joel sold him some drugs. Um, so thinking that he was going to let them go, he doesn't. He's going to do everything by the book, so he begins to scan them. And we see this procedure done um, earlier in the episode when a child arrives at the QZ zone. They scan everyone. If it comes up red, you're infected. If it comes up green, you're clear. 
they basically kill those that are infected. So, you know, uh, he gets to Tess. She's green. He gets to Joel green. He's about to get to Ellie. And we discover here, here's when we discover that Ellie has been bitten or been infected. Yeah. She just hasn't turned. And it's been three weeks, apparently. Uh, she stabs him, which creates commotion. Uh, and like, as you said, Joel has a flashback as a soldier pulls his gun and is about to shoot. We literally see him sort of go back to him holding Sarah uh, 20 years earlier and he snaps, um, attacks the soldier and bludgeons him to death with his fist. So um, Tess realized that Ellie is infected and she, you know, proclaims, exclaims that, you know, I'm not sick. Yes, I've been bit or whatever, but it was three weeks ago. I should have turned by now. I'm not sick. And um, there's not much else I can do at the moment as, you know, others are on their tail. So they escape into the night. And that is episode one titled mm-hmm. um, When You're Lost in the Darkness. And that is part of the mantra, I think, the sort of religious sect uses in the mm-hmm. game. Uh, there's that scene where the guy comes up to Joel and he's like, when you're lost, the, the phrase when you're lost in, in the darkness, look to the light, I believe. Yeah. Um, but Joe doesn't let him finish. Um, and that actor in that scene, he played a character in Under the Banner of Heaven from last year. He looked quite familiar to me. Um, so yeah, that was the episode. A really good first episode. Um, it actually is the second highest rating for HBO since the House of Dragon premiere last year. Um, and it's, it's gotten good reviews from TV fans and the gamers as the game fans realize that um, it's being adapted pretty accurately um, in comparison to the video game. Um, the creator is in, excuse me is involved, so we can expect to, for the game to sort of we can expect the show to not deter too much from the game, but be a solid. Uh, adaptation that's good yeah it was it was decent not having played the game or anything and having i mean but having some understanding of what's going on but um yeah no i i definitely enjoyed it and we'll tune back in next week but like i said the whole thing that just really threw me off with the it's just it's just the zombies (laughs) yeah and we got a glimpse of what they kind of end up looking like. Um, yeah. When Tess and Joe were breaking into the building, you see sort of like the dead runner, but they've morphed into sort of like mushroom people type creatures. Right. Um, and there's sort of different categories of them that are in the game that we'll see throughout the show in the weeks ahead. So um, episode two is slated to have been released uh, tonight, which would have been January um, 22nd at 9 p.m. 9 p.m. on HBO. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into our streams of the week. (laughs) 
All right, we are back with our streams of the week. Um, did you have a dollar bin theater or no? No, I did not. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on from that. Um, so you had mentioned uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. You say it was pretty good. Um, other than the World War One film, what else was different um, in this depiction of that war or in this film? So I would say the biggest depiction is that these young, it, it focuses on, you get a lot of battle scenes and whatnot, but the war is not the main focus, the men fighting the war. So this movie starts off with a core group of friends, the four young guys who I believe were kind of maybe in the early years of college or high school. I'm not sure how signing up for the army worked back then, but the they, they, things are kicking off in Germany. Uh, they know the war is coming, so they sign up and they're very happy to have, uh, should do so. They're like, oh, um, you know, uh, like uh, we get to, we get to go and be this for our countrymen. We get to, you know, take up these arms, whatever. And when they're getting their outfits, there is a guy who, when the main guy gets an outfit and realizes that there's a, um, he's like, oh, this jacket must belong to somebody. But what you see is that they're recycling a jacket is because they're losing so many men so quickly, which is kind of a foreshadowing, like, oh, damn. Oh, wow. But, um, Anyways, things kick off and these young guys get out there and it's not what they imagined. I don't think they imagined being, um, it being, they've been sold this thing that Germany is winning, Germany is doing this. And then they get there and without any real training, they're immediately sent to the front lines because Germany is getting slaughtered. Just, yeah, slaughtered by the Russians and the Americans and the French and uh, everybody else. And, um, but yeah, it just really it tells this story of just, these guys fighting this war, who they are, what they were before and what they become, the mental anguish they go through, the physical anguish they go through. Um, it, shit, everybody dies in this movie. It's really, 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 really tough, but it's really good too. There's a lot, there's happiness, there's fun moments, there's, you know, vulnerability, which makes it much different than just a shoot them up, drop bombs type of war movie. So I could, the, when you watch it, you'll understand how it's gotten the love and all the nominations that it's received so okay i'll definitely check it out given that it's uh readily available right right all right um and then at hulu um paris 13th arrondissement <laughs> yeah the arrondissement it's how they say district or um like neighborhood and so okay. this film has been out for a minute and uh we're not on there but it went to the circuit and I've been trying to find it forever, but it just follows kind of this trio of young people like in their twenties and early thirties in Paris. And they've just got different professional careers and different kind of uh, life paths. And they all clash, you know, they meet through work or they meet through school, they're roommates. And it's, it's very French because everybody is wrong for each other, but that doesn't stop them from having sex with one another. It's, it's so super French, but it's really good. And if I'm not mistaken, I think, uh, I don't know, let me see if I say her name right. Uh, Celine Schiama, I think that's her name. She was the, she had something to do with it. Oh no, she wasn't the director. Anyways, um, 
the, the most noticeable face is Naomi Merlant, and I probably butchered her name, but she was in uh, Portrait of the Lady of Fire. She was the dark-haired woman in that one. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good. And yeah, it just came on Hulu, I want to say, like, maybe Thursday or so. so. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Hulu does have some hidden gems. They, they yeah. get these pretty quickly. They, they need to do a better job of, like, like, yeah, or maybe like a oh, this is what's new to Hulu type thing, like Netflix does. Because I just happened to be scrolling, and I think it was mentioned, it was recommended to me because I had watched like another French film or something. So. Yeah, their their interface doesn't do give you justice. Like you literally have to be randomly scrolling and see. Oh, let me. Right, right. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, for me, over at Apple TV, I watched the first episode of the third season of Truth Be Told. This is uh, the series starring Octavia Spencer as Poppy Parnell, who now goes by her maiden name, Poppy Schofield. She's a, a true kind podcaster, journalist. Um, in the third season, she's investigating the disappearance of missing Black girls in wow. Oakland, California. Um, Gabrielle Union joined the cast as sort of like a, a Joe Clark-esque principal at a local high school where um, some of the black girls have gone missing. So they're sort of, they set up this storyline in the second season and sort of transitioned into it for the third. Uh, it's a pretty decent show. Um, it definitely feeds like your mystery craving. Um, it has a great cast. So I'm, I'm excited to see where the season goes. Okay. And then on Peacock, I actually watched the movie She Said. Um, this is the based on the New York Times uh, article from the New York Times reporters who broke the Harvey Weinstein sexual assault scandal in Hollywood, which spawned uh, the Me Too movement and the organization of the now defunct Times Up. Um, it stars Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as reporters Megan Tuhi and Jody Cantor. Um, it's basically just a chronicling of how they came upon the story, of their work reporting the story, gathering their sources, the information, but where it really um, sort of exceeds sort of like just a retelling of what we watched um, is when they have the witness um uh, uh witnesses recount what uh, happened between them and Harvey um for one one instance a one of the victims i think she was a foreign actress uh, instead of trying to recast her um they just play the recording um she was assaulted once um, by Harvey, and she was working with authorities. She, she wanted to go again. But oh, yeah, is, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, she's wearing a wire, and they have the recording of their full conversation. So that just plays with subtitles as the camera pans down the hallway of the ho hotel where it, the alleged incident occurred. Um, it, it was a chilling moment in the film. And then, of course, the other victim accounts, they recast some victims, um, but just actually hearing them tell what happened it was very powerful i will say um 
I know Carrie Mulligan, of course, has been nominated as supporting actress. She's decent in it. it it's a very run-the-mill journalist film. Um, but yeah. those those witness more moments really elevated. Um so yeah, you can definitely check it out. I don't think it's Oscar worthy. Yeah. Uh, it's not really shaking this table like a spotlight because I don't think a lot of people knew about the Catholic scandal. Right, right. Why, like we do Weinstein, Weinstein. So I think that's why that kind of was a bigger draw. Um, but it's a decent film overall. That's good. That's good. Um. And then I finally watched the first episode of Boys in Blue. This is the Showtime docuseries chronicling a football team in northern Minneapolis and how they um, sort of, not sort of, how they uh, traverse the events of uh, 2020 with George Floyd, who was murdered, you know, just minutes away from where they live. Um, what's interesting is this football team, which is, you know, majority black boys are coached by black men. Um, but all the coaches are members of the Minneapolis police department. So wow. boys in blue has, you know, a double connotation. You've got the boys in their blue jerseys for Minneapolis North high school. And then the boys in blue, which is a term for police officers. Police, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, and what's interesting, you go through the whole first episode, they in introduce you to several of the uh, sort of star players that they'll be following, you know, for the cast. Um, they introduce you to the coaches, give you background on the players, and uh, you see how these men are stepping up to be, you know, positive black male role models in their lives because of the dangers and the temptations in their environment. And then the last 10 minutes... Uh, they revealed that each of these coaches is a member of the police department, and I'm sure the the series takes a different turn. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a good start. It's only four episodes long, which I love. Um, I think there's new episodes every Sunday, and I'm watching on Showtime via Hulu. So, um, we got the trailer for the second season of Bel Air, which is also on Peacock. Um, I'm excited because I really enjoyed this reboot. It's one of the few reboots that was sort of welcomed <laughs> by the public. Um, yeah, and it was it was decent. Yeah, very decent. A uh, dramatization of the comedy sitcom from the '90s that starred Will Smith. This time, a uh, same premise. Will is shit from West Philadelphia to Bel Air to live with his aunt and uncle and his three cousins. But it's and from a it morphs from a half hour sitcom to an hour long drama, and this time, um, as season one ended with Will sort of leaving the bank's home to sort of like live life by his own choices, um, you know he sort of falters into some old habits, uh, in L.A. and those have consequences. So I'm definitely looking forward to season two and that arrives on February I think it's 22nd um, on Peacock okay. um, and only second to uh, the best in the final chapters Bel Air was like the most watched series on the platform so mm. yeah black people are going to do it every time yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
They just are. So where are you streaming for the weekend? Uh, well, the same stuff that I was supposed to stream last week because I just did not do it. Uh, but that is The Lying Life of Adults. Like I said, that's the Alina Ferrente novels who she wrote the uh, Neapolitan novels or My Brilliant Friend. Um, 1899, which has been canceled. Both of those are on Netflix. Um, and then on Hulu, How I Caught My Killer, which is kind of a true crime thing. And then the film Duel. So, yeah. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm going to try to start Warrior for the umpteenth time. Um, I have three episodes of The Old Man to finish over at Hulu. And then January 26th, we get Peacock's Poker Face, which is, which is a new series starring Natasha Leone, and it comes from Ryan Johnson of um, Knives Out fame. So it's like a mystery series. And I, I've heard great things about it, so I'm definitely looking forward to see um, how that show goes. As always, we thank you for listening to another episode of It's a Streamable Life podcast with Lauren and Brandon. Please like, review, and share the show on your platform of choice uh, if you like what you hear. And if you don't, let us know at Stream for Life Pod on IG, Instagram, or Stream for Life on Twitter. That's S T R M, the number four L I F E. Next week, we're going to dive into the fervor from Salt Lake City as the Sundance Festival will be coming to an end. We'll converse about the most talked about premieres um, and films that may buy for Oscar contention in 2024. But until then, keep on streaming. Peace.